Fernando Cheng, thanks very much for coming to be in conversation here with me. When we were chatting beforehand, you, you mentioned your very early conversion to being a social worker, that it was when you were in school. Well, my parents are in the helping professions. Mm. Uh, my mother was a nurse, my father was a teacher, and then he became a principal right. in primary school. Mm. And um, they encouraged me to be a volunteer. Right. So I started out volunteering during the secondary school time. I found that really satisfying. Um, you know, it's like but who were you helping then? I mean, you were volunteering. Was it old folk, uh, the handicapped, the deprived disabled kids? people, mm -hmm. elderly people? But then I joined a voluntary uh, group, mm -hmm. uh, and we were consistent in doing volunteer work. Uh, we became serious. We thought about what group would be the most needy groups and where should we do it, what kind of work is uh, the best uh, help mm -hmm. for them. So we went through that uh, with the guidance of social workers. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gee, you know, being a social worker is a pretty nice work because you get to help others. Uh, our group at that time uh, developed a newspaper for the elderly. Right. Um, it was the first newspaper no, it didn't come out daily, but it came mm. out monthly. Mm. So we did that, and we received a lot of good feedback. That must be nearly 30 years ago. Has that changed, do you think, now? Elderly folk wouldn't be uh, getting the same news feed today as they, as they would have been 30 years ago? Has that well, changed? I think it only moves toward a more positive manner because mm. we are experiencing aging in our population. Mm -hmm more of uh, our population is becoming elderly mm. and therefore their needs are being more attended to in right. some ways. But back in those days, 30, 40 years ago, um, they were primarily neglected. The other interesting feature of that is, of course, that 20 or 30 years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, everybody was still talking about how uh, Chinese culture doesn't have the problem of the neglect of the elderly that you found increasingly in the Western world. And yet, some, what you're saying is, it was here. It was a problem. Well, we didn't find that uh, to be true. Uh, we thought, you know, the same as you, you just said, that mm. you know, elderly people are well-respected. Mm. Uh, they would be the first one that the families would take care of. Well, the reality was a lot of poor elderly, they were singletons, right. uh, or they were just old couples. Their children were elsewhere, or their children were not being financially capable of helping them. And, and, and then you, you went on, you became an academic. Yes. What, was that because field work was less satisfying than studying? Well, I wanted to acquire more knowledge. Mm. Uh, I went to the States uh, because the social work profession uh, in a lot of ways, and in many of the uh, important literatures, originated from the States. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went over there, and um, I studied my master's there. Uh, for one, because there was not a lot of avenues to acquire more knowledge here in Hong Kong right. at that time. Yeah. There were really not Social work was just starting up places like Hong Kong, exactly. US, as I remember. Right, so yeah. there was only undergraduate programs, so I yeah. went there. Now, after I graduated from the master's program, I mm -hmm. thought, you know, uh, I should try to get on a PhD program mm -hmm. when I was still a bit young. Right. Uh, because this 
PhD stuff. It's not a test of capacity or capability. It's a test of endurance, as endurance. far as I can remember. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, your endurance is usually better when you're younger. Right. And when you enter into different stages, like that you get married, have children, and so forth. Were you married uh, by this time? When I entered the master's program, I wasn't married. Right. Uh, but I was when I entered the PhD program. Um, but, you know, I, I was there, and I got accepted by UC Berkeley, and I thought it was a good school. Mm -hmm. um, so I went, in, went on with my PhD education. And at the same time, if I've got it right from your story, you were working with Asian Americans in Berkeley who were, who were or in Oakland, who, who were disadvantaged. Yes. Um, it is a three-year full-time program, mm -hmm. plus a uh, number of years finishing your dissertation. You're right, yeah. And the average length was seven years. Right. Uh, so I, I did pretty much that uh, process. Uh, mm -hmm. And after three years full-time, uh, we were free to do work outside of the academic work. Has, has that experience in, in Berkeley with the Asian Americans, has that sensitized you, or did it sensitize you to, now you've come back, to the, the world of the minorities in Hong Kong? That they're in a, oh, a similar position, if you Oh, yeah, very much so. When I was in the States, mm. we were minorities. Right. Uh, I was in an agency primarily dedicated to helping the uh, immigrants, mm. uh, Asian immigrants. And then when I came back, uh, that was in 1996. Mm -hmm. uh, You've got an uncanny knack of timing. If I've got it right, you went to the States in 88? Uh, 88, yeah. Yeah, a year before Tiananmen. And you come back in 1996? No, I went to stay earlier. I went right. to stay in about uh, 1980. Oh, right. But okay. I, I came back in 1996. Right. But it was pretty much that by design. I wanted mm. to witness the changeover. Right. Uh, I thought, you know, as a, as a time, I really want to be here to witness what goes on. Do you feel a on. strong sense of Hong Kong identity? I do. Uh, although I was born in Macau, I grew mm -hmm. up here. I moved to Hong Kong when I was about seven. I, I look at myself as a Hong Kong niece, if you will. Right. Uh, yes. Do, do you think of yourself as Chinese as well? I mean, obviously you've got a mum who's Peruvian Spanish, yeah. um, and you, you've got a dad who's Macanese Chinese. Do you think of yourself, is, is that to you, if you like, something that's very true about Hong Kong itself, that it has a, a hybrid identity and you fit it like a glove. Yeah, well, I, there's no other ethnicity that I would identify myself with mm. than Chinese. I mean, I, I look Chinese, I am Chinese. Right. Brought up as a Chinese. Right. You know, uh, so, so you came back to home to see the handover? I came back to home, yes. Now, of course, when I was in the States, um, I try myself to engage in the society. I believe mm. in getting engaged right. to where you are. Integrating? You yeah. felt you were integrating to America? Uh, very difficult. I, mm. We tried our best, but it was a very ethnically diverse mm. society, but by and large, minorities are minorities. on the sidelines. They're right. minorities. And so, you know, coming back, I become the majority. Right. But it is ironic to see ourselves persecuting or discriminating against minorities here. So there are South Asians who've been here for generations. There's also, I mean, at the moment, uh, someone on the bridge going across the Star Ferry. 
there's a bunch of Occupy Central for refugees yes. movement. Are you involved in that too? Yes, I've been trying to help refugees here mm. as well. Um, they are really a group of people that are most neglected by our society. Uh, many of them come from um, war-torn uh, regions and mm. uh, countries, uh, but they are offered the least amount of help here by our government because our government is so afraid of Hong Kong being a madness. I, I think I saw one bloke saying that he, he's been here for years yes. and he's not able to work He's not able to bring his wife, I think. There, no. there are some terrible no, no. stories. Well, we, we, uh, first off, uh, we make them illegal before mm. we help them. Uh, they have to overstay. Right. And secondly, uh, they have to go through this assessment process that takes years. Uh, the new system they call the government, uh, called the uh, Unified Screening Mechanism, mm -hmm. just came out this March. But it is very confusing, very non-transparent. Right. And the humanitarian assistance that we've been giving them is substandard. They couldn't, they, they're not given sufficient food. Their accommodation is terrible. We give them $1,000 a month to rent a place in Hong Kong. Can you imagine but that? When a cage home is $3,000 a month. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So many of them ended up in this um, terrible living environment. Mm. Some of them becoming uh, street sleepers. Right. And for those most vulnerable, like um, minors, uh, children, mm -hmm. uh, single parents. Do the, do the kids get any kind of schooling? Uh, well, they are considered on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. and you have to apply. Right. Uh, they cannot, uh, the adults cannot go to any sort of education once they reach the age of 18. They cannot work. They cannot become a volunteer in Hong Kong. They can only stay put, sit still or sleep do nothing and receive a subhuman, substandard type of assistance. I mean, in general, you, you are a champion of underdogs. Uh, pensions? Well, absolutely. Uh, when I came back in 1996, mm. I joined my previous professor uh, in, from Baptist uh, University. Uh, we were in a um, society for social security in Hong Kong mm -hmm. and we made a proposal of establishing a pension system in Hong Kong. So that's Back more then. than 20 years ago? Oh yes. And the government said, well, no thank you, we wanted uh, the MPF, the Mandatory Provident Fund. Right. Which is a mockery. <laughs> yeah, it was a disaster. It still is. Yeah. And are there plans to, to, sh to fix it? Well, there's been a number of proposals since mm. then. And of course, the, this time around, uh, C.Y. Learn promised that he would consider uh, making something like that happen. Yeah, promising to consider something is really easy. All you've <laughs> yeah. got to do is consider it. Yes, right. Well, he's, <laughs> he's still considering it. Is the blockage for this within government, or is it Hong Kong's ever pocket lining uh, corporate? I think a lot of it is Folk. the uh, corporate, but not. I'm not sure that this is necessarily the multinational corporations. Right. I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, smaller corporations. They are very fearful of social security system. They don't think uh, that these. They, well, first they think this will only make them pay, pay more, more taxes. Yes. Yeah. 
and, and second, this will make people lazy. Right. But I, I don't I, see how it makes From what I gather, lazy. virtually all the evidence is quite the contrary. Up to a point, minimum wages actually increase employment. Of course. Uh, it's only above a certain threshold they start being negative. Minimum wage has an effect of keeping the, the work ethic, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that by dedicating yourself to you know, work full-time, you are entitled to at least a basic decent living. But that really depends on, on the economic model in Hong Kong, which I suspect died about 15 or 20 years ago, oh, yeah. as the entire economy's changed. Yes. And there is no reward for being somebody towards the bottom of the heap. We're, we're actually moving in this way in which inequality is increasing and increasing and increasing exactly. be because of structural reasons. No, we witnessed that in Hong Kong in the past yeah. two decades. Uh, it happened. Our uh, Gini coefficient continued to climb. Yeah. Uh, income disparity, wealth disparity is getting worse. The myth of Hong Kong is, is the hard scrabble person who began life in a squatter hut and has made it to, I don't know, a senior civil servant level or a comfortable boss of an SME or runs a restaurant. And this just isn't true anymore. No, no, no. no. This is the Hong Kong dream that uh, cannot be sustained anymore. Uh, it is quite obvious when you ask any young person in the street, um, you know, the first thing he would ask, where I'm going to stay? Uh, how can I get married without a place to stay? Right. How am I going to have children? Um, I suppose I mean, somebody from, from the old days would say, yeah, well, we used to sleep six to a squatter hut. Um, <laughs> is this a problem? Well, today, you can't really do that. No. Uh, even if you want to sleep in the street, you, you could be driven out by uh, food hygiene right. forces. Uh, so it is getting very much regulated. You know, you can't go on the street and sell things. You're a hawker. Right. You, know, you can't do that anymore. Well, that's why they all have their instant fold-up case to do a runner. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's what they, uh, a few of them do now. Yeah. Uh, but you have to be a pretty good runner. Yes. <laughs> and you could be uh, driven to the river. In fact, one hawker did that and, uh, and drowned. Wow. Yes. It was just a few years ago. Yeah. So it is becoming very hopeless. Because well, I mean, the education system seems also to be becoming increasingly polarized between the educational opportunities available to the kids of the relatively well-to-do and the kids who are condemned to whatever is available free. Yes, well, uh, we have local research indicating that uh, people who are wealthy, children of uh, well-to-do families, mm. have a three times higher uh, chance of getting into universities. Right. than the uh, people low-income families. And that's alarming. Uh, that's really something that we don't want to see happen. And not only that, um, uh, you know, in, in my current position, I, I deal with things of all sorts. Just last week, we were dealing with small shops being driven away by, by the link. Increases. Oh, by the link. Yeah, yes. Right. Um, yes. And they, they want to drive them away and rent the place to uh, these chain stores. Right. And of course these would So the Hong Kong we all grew up with is, will disappear. Exactly. So, you know, this is a place that is getting, uh, for some reason, um, not that habitable. Right. Uh, it, it, it seems that we don't see a lot of hope there. Okay, now, so far, we've sounded pretty jolly dismal, yes. and I interrogate myself, okay, I'm reasonably affluent, I'm retired, I don't have to worry about a future, 
But I still love Hong Kong. I love its energy. Are you an optimist? Still? I'm an optimist. Otherwise, I wouldn't be staying here. Right. Uh, I still have a lot of hopes in our younger generation. Uh, although I see that uh, we're really getting into a sort of a deadlock, uh, mm. politically and otherwise. Economically, we're only emphasizing too much on real estate, right. uh, finance, and perhaps tourism now. Uh, politically, we're in a deadlock in this political reform that we're about to deal with. Is that our fault? I mean, as collectively, that we're just somehow not able to focus on finding a solution? Is, are, are, we, are we people who prefer to polarize, to go off into our little enclosed areas and just not, and shout across the gap? Right. Rather than meet and... I don't think so. I think Hong Kong people are probably the most hardworking, most gentle, and most compliant type of person. Mm. Uh, we can really go through a lot of difficulties mm. without complaining. Right. And the, the fact of the matter is, our younger generation is getting more educated. Mm -hmm. And they're referencing, it's not, you know, the war-torn type of era, right. our elderly generation. Who are remembering recovering from the devastation exactly. of 45 to 55. And they're referencing other developed places in mm. the world. And, and they've often been there, maybe. Of course. Or they see it on TV. Yes, yeah. well, we're free to travel. Yeah. Uh, uh, limitless type of knowledge and information. Are they also online. aware that just over the border, they seem to be accelerating maybe past Hong Kong as well. There is that too? Well, sure. Uh, but of course they would notice the, uh, even when they are accelerating economically, uh, there's a lot missing right. north of our border. Mm. And we have a, a increasingly a stronger identity of our younger generation being we are part of Hong Kong. We are the only free region in the whole China. Right. And if we can emerge to become a model for the rest of China, uh, politically or otherwise, uh, I think that is something that uh, the Chinese would look forward to. And me, myself, as a Chinese, I would like to see Hong Kong being a model for the rest of China to become. And that is something that keeps me going. Uh, I, when I was studying in the States, I wanted to come back to Hong Kong uh, to teach or to do other work, primarily because I want China to become strong. I want China to be a society where everybody can flourish, can live comfortably. Can, and freely. Yeah, and happily. Yeah. Uh, why can't we pursue happiness? Uh, might not the chaps in Beijing say, yeah, well, you can have those. You don't need the other bits, this democracy stuff. Well, uh, I look at it from the other side. I think without democracy, you have uh, very few people making orders, controlling the entire game, and mm. the rest of us become losers. We want to make it more humanitarian, fairer. Yeah. Fernando Chun, thanks very much. Thank you.